1: That's BlueNile.com. Hi, this is Ro, the host of The Queen Podcast. Uh, we are back for Season 2, and Queen are still happy for us to keep playing their music, which is wonderful and lovely of them, but the rest is up to us, darlings. So, we have set up a Patreon account, which you can find on our Facebook page. You can also find it on our Twitter and Insta accounts at the TheQueenPod, uh, or just go straight to Patreon.com Uh, and look up The Queen Podcast. Uh, We do have some rewards for people that want to do that, or if you prefer, uh, you can just make a one-off donation to uh, PayPal. This is just to help us achieve our goal of getting through every single album that Queen have made. It's something we want to do, it's something we love doing, and we'll always do it for you. Welcome back to Queen Pod for Season 2. Yes, we're all back. Without further ado, let me introduce my wonderful cohorts with our pistons a-pumping. It's a
0: comedian, Suze Kempner. Hello, how are you? Hi. Thanks. I I am not in love with my car.
1: Oh, you're not? Okay, I'll just yeah. cut this next gag I had about and um, on <laughs> grease then put it guns. back
0: in because I, I, it then did start. It didn't start oh, did over it? Christmas and then it, and then it did. OK, oh.
1: all right. OK, well, I'm going to move on. He says he'll have to tell his daddy if he can be queen documentarian Simon Lupton. Hello, Happy New Year. Yeah, yeah I think so. That's all right. Okay. It's February. Uh, I call him sweet like he's some kind of cheese. It's comedian John Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> Great to see you all. And I Yay. come from London town. I'm just an ordinary guy. I'm Ro, I'm your host. Hello! We're all here! And should we say at this very moment, uh, a very happy birthday to Miss Suze Kempner.
0: Oh, thanks. Is it your birthday today? It's It's my genuine birthday today. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you. When you guys said, shall we record on Monday? I went, yes, I won't tell anyone it's my birthday because then it will just be my treat. And then all I've done is tweet, it's my birthday!
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just think it's great raising by uh, Mama Kempner. Like, you're pro first. Birthday's like, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) She didn't give us a single clue. It's been lovely. I've had to do all kinds of stalking to find out. It's been great. Um, So, yes, it has been a little while since we've all been together. We did that lovely little Christmas special. uh, But it's lovely to be here with you listeners. And uh, um, we are kicking off this wonderful second season in the... What anniversary of Queen is it? The 900th anniversary of Queen, this year. <laughs> How long have they been going? 50,
3: Fifty years.
1: Fifty years of Queen. Six decades of number one albums. That is mm. ludicrous. Yeah. What an achievement. Um, and we are kicking off today, of course, with the mighty Night at the Opera. Uh, we'll be looking at side one. Um, but before we get into that, um, we have a lovely little section called Queen of the Champions. <laughs> Oh. We are the so do any of us have a lovely queen moment we'd like to share since we last gathered
0: yeah i do go on Th- Suze. this is uh, i watched last week russell t davis he's got a new tv show about the aids crisis in the 80s called it's a sin oh, yeah. it's really brilliant if anyone hasn't seen it i recommend it and I wondered if they were going to feature Queen at any point. Um, and, yeah, one episode ended with Who Wants to Live Forever.
1: Oh, oh my like, God. Yeah. That must have been
4: heartbreaking. I, th- I think it's the best TV show I've seen in 10 years. Mm. Wow. And I, I don't have brilliant. a specific show in mind that happened 10 years ago. But uh, <laughs>
2: it's,
4: I was just talking about it with Ellis because he's just mm-hmm. finished watching it. right? And it is... A, an absolutely astonishing piece of work.
0: Yeah, it's and a masterpiece.
4: I, I, I cried. There's a moment in the last episode where uh, the, Welsh, the Welsh mum appears and yeah. I started crying at that point and I think it was 40 minutes of just constant crying.
1: <laughs> oh, it was wow.
4: quite extraordinary experience watching it.
1: I'm going to have yeah. to guess you haven't actually seen The Mandalorian then because some, someone also appears <laughs> in the last episode of that and I, I cried very much. <laughs> probably very
0: similar
4: i think yep. it would be certainly of interest to uh, anyone who's read um what's it called uh somebody to love the freddie mercury biography which mm-hmm. alongside freddie's life tells the story of the development of the aids crisis oh, right. um mm-hmm. and as an insight into how how cruel it was that aids came at a time when the gay community were beginning to find their own space mm. and even though society was still sort of by default homophobic it's just so so unfair that's what the sort <laughs> yeah. of the feeling you come out of watching it but also that uh, what's a, uh, really astonishing about it is how he mixes russell t davis mixes the joy that those people had in their lives mm. with the sadness and the camaraderie and the sort of infighting and all of those things he, he just he shepherds all of those themes so well and it absolutely blew me away
0: yeah same yeah it's i've seen people say oh, i don't want to watch that it sounds very depressing and it, it, it isn't at all it's life affirming mm. and and honors yeah honors a generation of men who were lost to a disease that society didn't want to touch wow
4: can i tell you a fact yeah. about it that'll blow your mind right, so you know jill <laughs> yeah you know her mum in in it's a Sin. oh
0: it's her mum it's her ac- yeah. no 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 no
4: oh. it's the
0: actual woman she's yeah. playing <laughs> Yes, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, it
0: sounded mic. like I didn't Sorry. know it. Then. <laughs> but right. yeah, no, that's
1: amazing. I'm definitely going to use iPlayer between now and the next recording, so because I want to get in on this juicy. It's a sin chat. Everyone's getting very emotional, and I'm just pretending. Um, I have a more selfish, uh, Queen moment that happened to me uh, on Christmas, uh, day where my uh, mother, who I have referred to occasionally on this pod and, um, accused of, uh uh, uh destroy my entire Vinyl queen collection this is true <laughs> uh i uh i opened one of my presents from mum and it was a whole load of lps that she had found in the garage oh wow there was stuff like um children's greatest tv themes uh, Ooh, there was classic. there was the super trooper album by Abbott there was um um uh, some uh, Ravi Shankar noise, that sort of thing, Uh, very, very good, and right at the bottom of that entire deck of maybe about 20 LPs, I did find four very, very precious pieces of um, my original Vardil collection, which I brought to show you on this audio format, so here is the lovely gatefolded original LP of Barcelona.
0: Oh, amazing. Nice and
1: precious to me. In pristine condition, these are. I also, slightly unimpressed, got um, Scandal, (laughs) uh, which is the 12-inch version. It also has My Life Has Been Saved on it, and uh, the 7-inch version. But I don't know if you can make this out. The actual vinyl itself has got all their signatures etched into it. I don't know if you can even really see that. Oh, Oh, yeah, I remember that. Which was cool. I can't see it, but that's very cool. (laughs) A interview picture disc... With Freddie on it. Mm. Very good. And so it shows shows you how detailed my collection was. This is the gatefold I'm going slightly mad 12-inch as well with the Hitman and Lost Opportunity on the back and a very fun picture of them all
2: mm.
1: kind of being cool on the back, uh, playing it like, um, which was amazing and um, imbued me with Christmas spirit in a Christmas that was sorely lacking in many ways so yeah Mm -hmm. that was a huge queen moment for me anyone else want to chip in? yeah
4: i've had a couple of queen moments okay one of which did anyone else get forwarded that auction that's happening where there's an insane amount of really great queen memorabilia no so i got i got i've been sent this on like twitter and instagram and i can't remember the name of the auctioneers now but basically someone has obviously passed on the most remarkable queen memorabilia collection to a local auction rooms and there's flight cases with all of the sort of tour logos on there's a whole batch of the cut out freddies from the great pretender video
2: <laughs> oh, you know wow. the in
4: the pink suit
2: <laughs> yeah where yeah. he walks
4: past them all so there's about six of those amazing wow. and loads and loads of signed uh, stuff uh, unfortunately, I got to it a couple of days too late. But it was uh. interesting to check out how much money I could have lost.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the, what were the bids like? What were you, what were you looking at? Well, what stuff? was
4: interesting with the signed stuff is how they varied, considering they were signed by all four members. And I wondered whether it was a sort of a slight error on the part of the... Well, not an error, but it was unfortunate that because there were like 10 objects that were signed by all of them, By its nature, you're not going to get perhaps ten people who want them all as much as each other. So they went from about two grand down to about four or five hundred quid. Which was interesting because you'd think, you know, to to be able to get all four signatures for four hundred quid is... I remember them being that much when I was about ten. Right. Mm. So I think it was the fact that there were so many available perhaps drove the price down on some of them. I
2: see.
4: And the flight cases were about between... Six to eight hundred quid, depending on how many stickers they had on them. Right, oh. but, still but it's not so that tempting because yeah. if yeah. you had yeah. the space, so a space, they'd look so cool. Month. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> flight
0: cases are expensive anyway. So yeah. a queen flight case for six hundred quid is a bargain.
4: I think Which some of cool. them would, would belong to Peter Hints.
0: Okay, to, right. Uh,
4: some right.
1: of the items, um, yeah. but yeah, it was. And like, you will remind everyone who Peter was, of course, won't you? At this point, John.
4: Well, because Peter joined the team as a equipment engineer during the recording of uh, Night at the Opera, I believe. Hey! There ah. you go. What a And what a coincidence. Became, a, became a roadie for many years there on in. Um, so, yeah, it was nice to kind of see how much money I saved by missing the auction. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the main things, I got to interview Brian on Five Live <sighs> for a, quite a long interview for uh, to plug the Christmas single he had with Kerry Ellis, One mm. Beautiful Christmas Day. And it was fascinating for many reasons.
1: What did he smell like?
4: He <laughs> smelled like a Zoom call. Oh. <laughs> but Kerry, Kerry was flying to Dubai. So this was before the third lockdown. And Kerry was meant to be joining us by, via her mobile phone. And we thought that was sort of above and beyond for her to have to stress about that. She actually missed the call by half an hour because her flight was delayed. Which, whilst very sad that we didn't get to chat to Kerry, part of me was thinking, I get total Brian. (laughs) (laughs) So we talked for about 20 minutes um, about uh, Wonderful Christmas Day, the single, which we played on the show. We also talked about uh, his most recent stereoscopic photography book, um, which is about Nebulae. But then he dropped a really nice little juicy queen morsel, which is that he was going through, and I quote... His mountain of tapes, and he found, and I quote, one of Queen's very first shows, which was one that they put on themselves at Imperial College. Um, I didn't ask, and I kicked myself for not asking whether this was pre or post John joining. So I think it's one, I think it might have been their first show with John or their second. Wow. Um, And the tapes are in the process of being cleaned up. (gasps) And he said that he is in discussions with Roger as to whether to release the uh, gig. So it would have been at the most their sort of 12th or 13th ever gig as Queen. Amazing. And what was really interesting was talking to him about how, obviously for people like us, people listening to this podcast, they'd want anything that Queen ever recorded, ever, Mm -hmm. even if it's a mistake or just sort of banter in the rehearsal room. And sort of he was saying how in the past he's been very hard on himself when he's heard, like, rarities or demos and stuff. But now as he's a bit older, he listens to it in a much kinder way and he's more forgiving of mistakes they made or issues with the recording quality. So
2: mm-hmm.
4: I reckon it's there's a chance they might put it out, which wow. would be massive because Queen, probably more than most big bands, you don't get a lot of little sort of side morsels. Mm.
2: Yeah. So
4: I don't know if, Simon, have you heard about this or do you have any update on this?
3: I had he- heard about it, but no, you-, you know as much as as I do at the moment. Um, I'm, not- I'm not sure if they are any further along the lines of making any decisions, but we we will do everything we can to keep our ear to the ground and find yes. out when news is, is imminent because um, that would be very exciting. Yeah, Quick on Sims 2, yo!
2: We're smashing it already!
3: <laughs> We're dropping huge bombs! This is
1: very exciting. My excitement <laughs> overrode your excitement, there, Suze. I'll try not to do that again. Um, <laughs> Simon, are you all right? Should we move on? Have you got a little thing?
3: I-, I was only curious to know if anyone got any any Queen-related stuff for Christmas because I I am now the, the proud owner, thanks to my parents, of um, a signed copy of Neil Preston's excellent book of Queen's oh, wow. Christmas which is amazing. So I just wondered if anyone else, you know, found something lurking in their stocking that Father Christmas <laughs> yeah. might have brought for them. That was Queen related.
0: I did. My mum managed to get me a top that had uh, the had Queen lettering from the first album, so oh, nice. uh, which I wanted and I didn't know existed. And she managed to find that. And uh, my friend Craig sent over from Australia his copy of the 40th anniversary, that beautiful book that mm. came out that had they had like copies of memorabilia in it, like ticket stubs. And oh stuff. yeah. And uh, yeah, he sent that over from Australia oh, uh, and I opened it incredible. and I, d- I was like, I, I sh- should have been a child in a John Lewis advert. I did a really good like, <gasps> <laughs> 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 oh my goodness, mum, I, look, like that. <laughs> oh my
4: God. I got my my annual Queen calendar late, obviously, because I couldn't spend Christmas with my family, um, but they sent it over. And it's <laughs> a really cool calendar because it. I thought... I thought, oh, they've accidentally bought me a vinyl for some reason. Um, but it's actually vinyl shaped and it's in a sleeve. And it's Ooh. sort of based, it's based on all of the artwork from songs that are on Greatest Hits 2. Okay. So it's a bit like a sort of fun Greatest Hits 2 calendar. Mm-hmm. That's
0: nice. your favourite cool. album, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the best of Queen.
1: <laughs> uh, I did get a Kind of Magic t-shirt from my sister which hey. is really, really happy and made me seriously start thinking about potentially getting those things as a tattoo
4: hmm. well there's a lot of nice Flash Gordon merch flying there around is. at the minute because that's been re-released and there's some good uh, Flash Gordon tops on the Queen website including the, the, the red and white Flash one but spelling out Brian
1: <laughs> <laughs> ah, nice I, um, I definitely gave that a rewatch on the anniversary weekend of that movie that was lovely um, fantastic alright let's move on to the next feature point of our show <laughs> I've learned nothing in the interim it's love of our lives this is where we read out um, oh I read out a, uh, a listener letter um, uh, do email us, Queenpod at the Queenpodcast.com. That is how you get me to read out uh, one of your letters. You can also uh, tweet us and insta us um, at the Queenpod, but uh, Queenpod at the Queenpodcast.com is where um, we look for these letters. And I have here a very short letter uh, from uh, Eshawar BK, uh, who sent this, this on the 21st of January of this year. Um, Hello, Ro, Suze, John, Simon, and the producer. (laughs) I'm from Bengaluru in Karnataka, south of India. Shout out to South India. I'm a massive dosa fiend. I love dosas. I love South Indian fiend. I listen to your podcast regularly, and I am on episode five. Please do not stop your podcast until you finish innuendo. (laughs) So... We'll do a posthumous one between us for Made in Heaven. Also, as I mentioned, I'm so very loyal to Queen that I have vowed not to listen to any other rock band for at least a few years. (laughs) Even if I do, no matter what, Queen will be the best of all. Please reply and oblige. Thank you. (laughs) That's
4: dedication. Well, do you know what? I I I, I did Dry January this month and... Towards the end, I just started feeling quite flat. And I was, this morning, of not really in a particularly good mind space because I've been on my own for the vast majority of lockdown three. And I thought, right, I need to get, I need to listen to A Night of the Opera. So I, I walked to Tesco's and I put it on my phone and I put my, I've got some nice n- new headphones and I put it on and I just played it really, really loud. <laughs> and it just totally sorted me out it just like obliterated my mind <laughs> and it made me realize how i iPhones and laptops have kind of spoiled the way i've listened to music because it's so rare now that i'm listening to music on sort of quality speakers mm-hmm. at a loud volume mm. because i'm usually listening to my through my laptop which is quite lazy and tinny mm. <laughs> But it made me realise, A, how great playing Queen really loud is for obliterating any kind of negative thought spirals, but also how important it is, especially with an album like this, which we're going to talk about, to listen to it, uh, to get the stereo effect.
0: Yeah. And,
4: you know, these headphones aren't, like, insanely expensive. They're, like, 70 quid. And I listen usually listen to podcasts on them, which is a bit of a waste. But I thought, I'm going to actively try, when we listen to Queen for this show, just sort of go through the albums... To listen to it really, really dangerously loud, <laughs> and also to listen to it on a good, good speakers because, it especially with some of John Deacon stuff, it's, you have to really find it to mm. to realize what it is he's doing. Mm. So I'm glad that I I did that, and I think that listening to Queen will be a big part of my lockdown, just like our, our yeah. correspondent.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it definitely. got me through a lot of last year, <laughs> getting to do this pod and re-listening to everything. Mm. I'd say pretty much, there was a good few weeks where every sunset I'd just sit out, I'm lucky enough to have a little balcony, and I'd sit out and um, just pick an album and listen to it. It was wonderful. Mm. It was a, it's a wonderful thing to do. And Ishawar, you're our kind of fan. That is correct. Mm. I, we all admire your vow not to listen to any other rock band. <laughs> that is a, a, a true warrior. Um, And John, having spoken so eloquently about A Night at the Opera, I think it is about time we got on to The Works! All right, here we go. A Night at the Opera, side A, released on the 20... 1st of November 1975 on EMI in the UK, electorate in the US. It was recorded from August to November uh, August to November, 1975 at the Lansdowne Studio, Olympic Sound Studios, Roundhouse Studio, Scorpio Studio, Sound and Recording, Mobiles, a.k.a. Psalm Studios, all in London, plus the Rockfield quadru- Quadrangle and Rockfield Coach in Wales, And Trident Studios London, specifically for God Save the Queen, which was recorded in October 74, just a few weeks too late to be included on Sheer Heart Attack. It was produced by Roy Thomas Baker and Queen, engineered by Mike Stone. I'm going to ask uh, Simon to do um, his little uh, backstory on the album in a second. But I just thought you might like to hear what the top five albums in the UK charts were beginning... The week beginning 21st of December, 1975. At number five, 40 Golden Greats by Jim Reeves. At number four, 24 original hits from The Drifters. Three, Mm. Make the Party Last by James Last. Uh, (laughs) At number two, 40 (laughs) Greatest Hits by Perry Como. At number one, A Night at the Opera by Queen which remained at number one on the UK album charts for nine weeks. How about that? We, That's what we like.
4: <laughs> Hang on, did you say Night of the Opera was at number one for nine weeks?
3: Yeah.
4: I don't think it was.
3: No, the Bohemian Rhapsody was at number Rhapsody one for nine did
0: weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Night,
4: Night of the Opera was number one for four non-consecutive weeks. Oh, right. really? I really yeah.
1: I'll find my own research.
4: Don't, don't worry. At a, a, a one point in this podcast, I'm kid. going to suggest that Brian's using wah. And so, so season two <laughs> begins.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Simon, do you want to do your little story trip through? Yes, I would love trip to. Through? Um, Thank you. Go on,
3: then. Well, as you recall, we left our heroes in 1974, having released their third album and finally enjoying serious chart success particularly with the single Killer Queen, which had reached number two. And they were well and truly established in the UK as a headline act, playing venues where they'd seen their heroes play, such as the Rainbow. It had started to make a serious impression abroad, particularly in the US. However, despite this palpable success, not everything was fine and dandy in the Queen camp. The production deal they had signed with Norman and Barry Sheffield at Trident meant that the band were essentially employees and were getting a weekly salary. Initially it was £20 a week but in recognition of the success of Sheer Heart Attack album that had been increased to an eye-watering £60 a week. Now although it was a reasonable salary at the time, for example the average cost of a house in the UK then was about £4,000, it wasn't anywhere near the financial rewards a rock band of Queen's stature would expect to be receiving. Additionally, any expense that the band wanted to make had to be cleared with the Sheffield Brothers and was invariably turned down. There is a famous story of Freddie wanting to buy a new piano to compose on, which was refused, as well as Roger being told not to hit the drums too hard as they couldn't keep buying him new drumsticks.
4: Would you like, Simon, th- to know what £20 a week is uh, adjusted for inflation oh, now? Oh, yes. What
0: a I idea. was wondering that.
4: It. Uh, it's £269.87 a week. Right, uh, so that's twenty quid in nineteen seventy two. Uh sixty quid in nineteen seventy five. So that's about I guess that's about sort of average wage? About no, that's yeah. less than That's no, it's like grand, minimum it's a, wage. Yes, yeah, a grand a month. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sixty quid in nineteen seventy five would be five hundred just over five hundred quid a week. So really it's not, not great, what you'd expect is it? people not really. who are who no. are making no, albums like in Queen Race with kind
3: of, you know, the... the some of the band members were married at this point. Um, mm. I think even John Deacon was had become a father at this point. You know, so they're looking to to, to provide for their family and um, yeah. should really be earning more. So, as you can imagine, it led to some discontent between the band and Trident. Mm. I think is probably the politest word. Um, and so, by the time we reach December 1974, it has reached boiling point. So Queen decide the business side has to change and they visit a lawyer at Harbottle and Lewis seeking help. Now that lawyer told me he remembers the first time they met, and how his assistant phoned him in his office to say that there are four gentlemen in reception to see him, and one of them was wearing black nail varnish. (laughs) uh, Which I think caused quite a stir in Harbottle and Lewis. Um, That lawyer of course was a certain Jim Beach, uh, and he set about working out how to free Queen from their Trident deals. Hmm. The first step was to engage a new manager, and for that the band settled on John Reid, who at the time was Elton John's manager, so a well-established and respected figure in the industry. So while that arrangement was being finalised, the band were told to forget about their business worries and to head into the studio and make the best album they possibly could. After intense negotiations, I think it took until about August uh, the next year, a deal was finally reached. Queen would pay a lump sum of £100,000, And a one percent royalty for the next six albums but at last queen had the freedom to take charge of their destiny but it was a huge gamble now massively in debt and with the comfort of a regular salary gone this really was queen's make or break moment their next album needs to be a huge commercial success failure on that front would without doubt mean the end of the road for queen And this is wow. where you will say what happened next. Yeah, well, I, hope... I
1: know. I love how you finish these. On I <laughs> <da, da.
3: laughs>
0: hope it worked out for these guys.
3: Yeah, I know. I'm not quite sure. We'll have to look into research, find out what happened. Yeah, <laughs> where they are now, I wonder. I think
1: now? their album was a number one for nine weeks. Do,
0: right? do you know,
4: <laughs> uh, out of interest, how they chose Jim Beach or how they chose that law firm? Was it on recommendation? Was, was the law firm related to Elton John as well, or another another singer?
3: I suspect they probably... I, I don't know, actually. There's an intricate question. I don't know if Harbott and Lewis had already they'd had dealings with them before or whether they were recognised as being the entertainment lawyers mm. and understanding the, the music business. I suspect it might have been that.
4: Because they would probably have known John Reed through using... Because they were using Trident during Elton's
3: downtime, weren't yeah. they? Am
4: I right in thinking? I yeah. think
3: there was a couple of managers that they they spoke to i can't remember what his name was but there was another manager they tried to reach but he was on tour and didn't return their calls so they just moved on um but i i they they loved elton um and i think you know thought well if you want to get a good manager go with the best and fortunately elton john was also a fan of queens so he didn't mind john reed looking after queen as well because he liked them which i think
1: helped so they'd bet by that point, had they? Freddie and Elton, and sort of
3: yeah, yeah, kind of yeah, absolutely, like yeah. Right. Yeah, I think Elton really liked *Killer Queen*. I seem to remember we mm. talked about that on the last mm-hmm. pod, but that was such a long time ago. Yeah, beautiful. What a fantastic uh,
1: little update to the progress of our mighty four. This is very, very cool. <laughs> um, uh, I've got a few little bits and bobs of info on this album that I think is probably worth sharing. Um, Uh, Apparently the album was the most, at the time, the most, reportedly, the most expensive ever made. The estimated cost being 40 grand, which is equivalent to 338,000 in 2021. So a very expensive album. And unlike earlier albums, which had used uh, 16-track tape for recording, this album recorded on 24-track tape as part of the multi-track recording necessary for the vocal harmonies. So, uh, huge there. Um... Yeah, Brian did talk about it. He apparently sort of referred to this album as, as Queen Sergeant Pepper's album, and I think it is widely recognised as their sort of seminal album. If you're going to own one Queen album, um, it should be the Miracle. Uh, it should be... Um, <laughs> Ooh! showing Back his off. cards. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. I pure jokes.
4: I, when I was listening to it today, I thought that even though if you gave me if I had one Desert Island Queen album, my choice would probably be a more personal one. I think in terms of their most complete artistic realisation, I think this is A, a perfect album, and B, their perfect album, yeah. I would say. Yeah,
0: You can see the progression, can't you, from Queen 1 to Sheer Heart Attack, and then you get to here, and you can see yeah. each album has stepped up something from the last one.
1: Yeah, and it kind of ushers in quite an extraordinary purple patch for them in that they are generally recording at least two iconic songs an album mm. from here on out you know and yeah. uh, this season we're also looking at a day at the races and a news of the world which is awesome yeah. it's just <laughs> such a good run of yeah. albums i can't quite believe the uh, how much fun we're going to get the, uh, to have this season um there's a lot of little uh, liner notes on this album, which is uh, very amusing uh, to me. Um, the, uh, the liner notes credit Brian with orchestral backdrops, which is a reference to the fact that he played a number of instruments not typically found in Queen songs, like uh, acoustic guitar on Lo- Love of My Life, which we'll talk about on mm. the next episode, and 39, which we're coming to, uh, as well as a harp on Love of My Life, and a toy koto um Uh, on the Prophet song, which we'll talk about next time. Uh, You'll have to Google what a Koto looks like. As soon as you see one, you know what it is. So Freddie's credited on the liner notes as vocals, vocals, Beckstein debauchery, and more vocals due to the use of a Beckstein white piano that they rented, uh, which was used for most, if not all, the recordings.
4: Well, this researching that piano led me to realise that when I visited Rockfield Studios and I was told that the piano I sat at was the piano Bohemian Rhapsody was written on, I may have been misinformed.
1: Cool. Was it a black uh. piano?
4: It was a black piano. I think it was the right. Hey Jude piano. Yeah,
1: that's the Hey Jude piano. Oh, so who cares? Not.
4: <laughs> because that's, the there's, a, uh, there's a great sort of list of um, myths about this album. And one of them is that it's recorded on the same piano as Hey Jude, which apparently
0: isn't the case. I see. It's a nice mm. idea.
1: Mm. <laughs> mm. well do we well we'll leave that alone we'll leave, we'll, we'll leave it <laughs> to dear listeners to choose what reality they wish to live in <laughs> um, uh, the band's tour in support of the album which was advertised at as a night at the opera with queen was like bigger than ever they had more lights more magnesium flares more dry ice a giant gong was added to roger's kits uh, which he'd always used to. Cause he used to do those mad kettle drum solos during this period, didn't he? Was, or am I? Was that still a bit later?
3: That, that came later, but the gongs was that later, was, but yeah, the gong. I'm was sure there, there's yeah. a roadie somewhere swearing at having to lug that around. <laughs> uh,
1: and his snare drum was filled with lager to create a fountain of liquid during his solo. So that. That drummer image of someone hitting their drums and liquid flying out of it. That Roger did that first. Mm. And he did it with beer. which was awesome. <laughs> <course he> <laughs> when Freddie received his gold disc for the album Going Gold, he didn't believe the disc inside the frame was the actual album. So he broke it open and played the record and was shocked to discover it really was a night at the opera. To be fair, that is something that I read in This Is The Real Life by Mark Blake. So... I haven't verified it, but I love that story. It's a great. I also
4: really love that book. And it's a great book. I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did. It's really good on their early sort of pr- proto queen years.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. It is really good. Should we get into the songs? Yes! Mm. Yeah! Should we start with uh, Death on Two Legs? in brackets dedicated to that's a nice little Freddy ditty Mercury. to start with isn't it <laughs> <laughs> nice little upbeat Strap <laughs> trap yourselves
2: in
3: Good place to end. A second way to open an album. I
1: mean, these guys are what, 26, 27 years old? Round about that neck of the woods? Mm-hmm. What was I doing at that age? Nothing. <laughs> it strikes me that
4: that actually in that in the intro before the vocals start, you've actually got this really perfect microcosm of what the album is because it starts with this um, sort of that strange, big, echoey, reverb sound. Yeah. Which you get in stuff like Prophet's song, and then suddenly you're into just that clean piano, which is much more the sort of music hall sound. Mm. And then the guitar comes in where you've got that heavy rock sound. So you've almost, it almost says this is the rest of the album is going to be a mixture of these three things. Mm. So it's
1: I almost th- like an overture, yeah. is that what they do at the beginning? Yeah. Of
2: the... Mm-hmm. yeah.
4: And also, how, just how concise Brian is in what is you know, an out-and-out rock song, probably the rockiest song on the album, mm. along with Sweet Lady. Mm. But in order for an album to be this big, you have to be really tight and, and neat, otherwise mm. it would just become sort of too lumbering for itself. So I think you've got the In Death On Two Legs, even though it, there's a whole other side which is about this message to their management musically it's like the blueprint for how the album works because the scope is so huge that if you suddenly go off on 10 minute long guitar solos and stuff and instrumentals you actually lose what makes this album like it's like watching a play a mixed Mm. bill show at a theater Mm. and you can sort of almost sense that curtains go up and it is a night at the opera yeah and you're going to get 13 12 13 little sketches and I think that's why, as a concept album, it's their most sort of complete.
0: Yeah, that, that's a really good point.
1: I think you're right. That, that yeah. the sort of the the, the the piano playing and the guitar doing that sort of bow, 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 sort of all at the beginning mm. almost sounds like the orchestra just getting ready to start the show. They always kind of do all those little um, yeah
0: tune-up warm-up mm. noises, don't they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: beautiful.
4: Which is yeah. also how isn't that how Sergeant Pepper starts?
1: With Hi. an
0: audience,
4: with a, a, an orchestra kind of yes. tuning up. Yeah, tuning up,
1: um, yeah. yes. Yeah. Of huh. yeah. Um, I, I, I have uh, an interesting update to your headphones here, John. Again, mm. to be fair, this is from... Um, uh, is this the real life? Uh, so may be taken with a pinch sort of salt, I think, but it is such a brilliant book, that book. Um, uh, so according to the assistant engineer at SARM, Gary Langan. Fred was insistent on having the headphones so loud in order to reach the high notes that his ears started bleeding. Wow.
4: That, that that's, any happen- doing. that's happened to me once and it was at a Mogwai concert. I <laughs> stood <laughs> <laughs> right at the front and my, my right ear bled. Oh, oh wow. Oh, my God. Wow, wow.
2: wow. okay.
1: Uh, although Fred world. Fred apparently told a reporter that it was his throat, not his ears. Oh, his yeah. throat
0: was bleeding. That's bad, that's too. That's
1: worse. <laughs> yeah. Either way... I think, yeah, if you are literally bleeding for your art, then, um, you know, yeah.
2: yeah, there's blood on this record. I think it's amazing. <laughs> it's an
1: amazing
3: record. There's quite a lot of emotion in that song, isn't there? You can yeah. really hear it. I, I quite like the, There's some the recording that they've done. There's, Freddie's recording the lyrics almost sort of in chunks, isn't he? So they slightly overlap.
2: Mm, yeah.
3: So it's yeah. almost like the words yeah. are really tumbling out.
4: Mm-hmm. It's like he yeah. he can't he can't slag this person off enough. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. as soon as he's finished one, he's halfway through another. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. They're tripping over themselves. I mean, apparently, um, Brian actually felt bad about singing it. That was uh, the way Freddie oh, would oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so nice. A sweet man, isn't it? <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, Fred would. So they played this song live right up uh, to the game tour. Uh, including the game tour, and and Fred would often dedicate the song to a real mother effort of a gentleman, <laughs> yes. uh, which is the bleep on live killers. I don't know yeah. if you guys remember that, yeah. but there, mm-hmm. that little moment is bleeped on live killers, um, uh, which is the only uh, live version of the song recorded. Currently, hmm. uh, that we have on release um, now, Simon. Am I allowed to say you, this was about Norman Sheffield? There's no issues around that. Have you already said that, or is that something I've got to out here? there? No,
3: He's it, been
4: paid
1: it, off.
3: It was sort of. It was one of those things where it was alleged. Should we say it was alleged? So Norman Sheffield certainly believed that it was about him. Their original he, manager. Uh, yeah, their original manager, and um, and obviously they were going through this rather acrimonious split at the time. Um, so he threatened to sue and it was one of those things where the band refused to to admit that it was about him um, and in the end EMI just came to a settlement because they just didn't want to go to court and let the problem escalate so read into that what you will I think most mm. people believe that it is, Norman certainly felt it was and the <laughs> band have never gone and said it isn't him but I don't think they've ever said it was him. So <laughs> That's so cool. I do actually have an amusing <laughs> um, Norman Sheffield-related story, actually. Okay. Um, it was when... Um, it was back, this was back in 2011, so this was a few days before the Days of Our Lives documentary went out on, on the BBC. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got a phone call and I answered it, and this voice just suddenly went, Is this Simon Lupton? It's Norman Sheffield and the oh wow. thing is is there are certain people within the queen camp who who enjoy a prank or a wind up so <laughs> i was convi- it's it's one of them phoning up pretending to be norman sheffield because i'd never made contact with norman i'd never spoken to him before i didn't know how to get in touch with him i didn't think he knew how to get in touch with me so i'm all like oh norman hi yeah great to hear from you it's really nice to be in touch so he's when this voice just goes on going I hear you've made a documentary about Queen. No doubt you'll be sp- spouting the same old crap about how terrible we were. Wouldn't let Freddie buy a piano while we were driving Rolls Royces, all of that stuff. And he went to talk on about how he felt it was a shame that no one um, ever told their side of the story, that actually they liked the band and felt they'd made a really significant contribution to helping the band you know, grow, um, even if their association didn't end well. And the more and more the conversation went on, I I became aware that it wasn't someone winding me up, and it was actually <laughs> <laughs> that I I was having a really friendly chat with, um, and I, I think at that point I just started spluttering about how oh to be honest we hardly really mentioned that do not really go into it in the documentary um, and it's the it's the band's story so we just kind of focus on 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 the the good bits um, and he just muttered good luck with it and hung up. <laughs>
0: Oh my god! Wow. So it obviously, Best. cuts deep, man. He's... I
3: think it was, yeah. But
0: I... well, also, also,
4: it must cut deep as a terrible business sort of decision or move that they lost Queen for a hundred grand. Yeah. You know, yeah. If yeah. they had perhaps had had them on a split themselves, they may have mm. gone on. Managing the most successful band yes. of the 80s. you know.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, that's amazing. amazing. God, I love your life, Simon. I'm going
2: to,
1: I'm going to steal it. It didn't
3: feel great it. at that particular moment. No, that must have been horrible. I know, but
2: it's still
1: cool.
4: We need it's a new section cool. called Love of Simon's Life where <laughs> we, we pick the things Simon's done we're most jealous of.
0: Get shouted at by Norman Sheffield.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's um, funny. I'm going to just, uh, so Death on Do Legs is, in lots and lots of ways, a very brutal opening to an album, which we have touched on here. But uh, just before we move on, for those of you who aren't as au fait with Queen's Back catalogue as we are, I would like to say it isn't like, okay, I played you a bit and you might be going, bloody hell, what's all that about? But can I just say that the guitar break of this, if you'll indulge me, it's about 15 seconds of it. I I love it. I think it sounds fantastic. I'm just going to play a tiny bit of it here. Okay, then it goes mean again. But Mm. that's such a joyous... Thing to put in the middle of such an angry soul. I think that's it?
0: why the song works because I don't normally like. There's there's a lot of pop and rock songs about. I we hate our manager and uh, they're usually annoying. They're usually oh, like bitter try, and whiny. Be,
4: try being a Van Morrison fan. That's half of song. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah. <laughs> there's one by Morrissey. um uh, frankly, Mr. Shankley and it just sounds like he's whining away and then the manager has been asked about it and he basically has gone, Oh, that's fine <laughs> So Morris <laughs> so is just a huge pain. Um but I think that guitar solo is what makes this song work because it's like triumphant. So it doesn't sound like this yes, that's a guitar rant. Mm. It's it's yeah, joyful. I also yeah, it I really like when they go, was the fin on your back part of the deal? Of the deal. And then they just go, oh, we mean a shark. <laughs> shock, shock, shark. we mean shock. I like that a lot. I auditioned for We Will Rock You ten years ago with this song, because when they tell you, oh. um, they tell you to bring a Queen song that's not in the show, and everyone just takes Show Must Go On. Uh, so I went, I'm going to take Death on Two Legs they'll probably be really impressed with that and we did the whole thing and as John has said the lyrics, they're not designed to be sung live, but you get through it and I got to the end of it like, yeah I just sang Death on Two Legs and the casting director just went, what? what the hell was that? (laughs) (laughs) no No. (laughs) No. (laughs) they basically were like, why have you brought us this? and I went, it's a Queen song, and they went okay like oh, <laughs> like it was no. the worst like it was the worst possible choice i could have made so the <laughs> following year sweet. i went back and i sang show my skull go on. <laughs> oh there you go <laughs> do you
4: was that- pop quiz do you know what kerry ellis auditioned for we will rock you with no uh, she auditioned with no one but you oh,
0: oh which she ended up singing yeah fantastic right we should all be more like Carrie Ellis, is clearly <laughs> i wish I had been. i'd been i be been a west end show <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> Been a bunch of them <laughs> what was that um, that's what they did
4: <laughs> isn't there a character called death on two legs or it definitely
1: is in the I'm script i'm sure they
0: mention it yeah i mean i then refused to go and tuck. see the show for like 2 years after <laughs> that like, what do they yeah. mean what was that <laughs> Scaramouche yourself off. <laughs> I'm, I'd be a good Scaramouche as well. I You'd look be like a, a s- great Scaramouche. I look like a snivelling little rat on stage. It's perfect. I could... I could yeah, anyway. <laughs> it's fine. It's been 10 years. I'm over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, everything's fine. <laughs>
1: I thought you would have been a fantastic Scaramouche, mate. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, shall we move on to the very second track on the album, which is an absolute ridiculous surprise, in my opinion. Uh <laughs> Here we go with Lazing on a Sunday afternoon.
2: painting in the
3: same guy who just sang death and two legs right yeah
1: I know. I know unbelievable just this enormous switch into this vaudeville playfulness for track two uh That's
0: so freddie's going to his musical audition and taking his two contrasting songs yeah. he takes <laughs> death on yeah. two legs and <laughs> lazy on a sunday afternoon yeah. i do think you're gonna have to let it the, go
1: at some point Susan.
4: <laughs> the, the change between and the choice of those two tracks as the first two is really important and i was reading a sort of a group interview with some hard rock musicians about this album. And they were sort of saying they really, they get it, but when they first listened to it, they used to fast forward through all the sort of vaudeville tracks. But that's that's to not understand what the album is mm. because they could easily put Bohemian Rhapsody front and center
2: mm-hmm.
4: um, and then You're My Best Friend second and just let the sort of songs trail off in any order. Mm. But it's it's they've done this for a reason. Mm. And I was thinking in my head, just listening to that, you can almost imagine applause in between each song (laughs) and a change of scene. Mm -hmm.
2: And, Mm. you know,
4: an actor changing costumes swiftly behind the curtains. And it would be such a great stage show to have a night at the opera turned into a night at the opera. Mm. Um, I'm not saying it would be as good as We Will Rock You the Musical, but uh, I think it would be really interesting to have it sort of a physical form of the album yeah because maybe it suits for... itself so much to like a 500 seat west end yeah. theater
0: oh the 50th anniversary of the album they should do that yes oh yeah so they've got f- they've got four years to get that <laughs> sorted we'll do it we'll, we'll sort do it, it. Out we'll do it, it. we'll <laughs> talk to phil
1: Mack and uh and nimax and we'll sort it out um yeah. uh but i think that's a really good point john i think This happens a lot. uh, We 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 talked about this on season one, but on this album, you know, the ending of a song informs the beginning of the next song, and vice versa. This song is all the wittier for following, um, yes, Yes. death on two legs in the way that it does because there's such this huge, angry ending to Death on Two, And then this all... Brum, brum, bum, 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 <laughs> you know, and it just enhances the mischief of even having a song like this. You know, this song mm. is 80, uh, 67 seconds long and has 87 mm. words in it.
2: <laughs> get your
1: heads around but, that.
4: But, but also, Death on Two Legs is all the more audacious a rock track f- for the fact that this is next. If you had Sweet Lady after, mm-hmm. and then uh Bohemian Rhapsody, it would mm. sort of Death on Two Legs would get lost. So yeah. mm. the reason it's so bombastic is because of the song that follows it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that happens throughout the album that you never have two sort of massive chunky songs in a row. Mm.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean uh I mean Freddie obviously wrote this song. He played piano, performed performed all the vocals on the track. The lead vocal was sung in the studio reproduced through headphones in a tin bucket elsewhere in the studio. A microphone recorded that sound from the bucket, giving it that hollow megaphone That's sound. It's
2: amazing. Yeah. Um,
1: and in a documentary called Classic Albums, Roy Thomas Baker, the producer, explained that the guitar solo was also recorded on the vocal track because there were no more tracks left to record on. That's how ah. much layering is going on in that track. It was hmm. like a 24 tracks all full. Like, OK, well, we're going to put Brian's solo on there. As well, Amazing. I love it. I absolutely love it. It's such a lovely Bijou thing, um, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you guys are sort of, I don't know, if you're listening out there and you watch the Bohemian Rhapsody film and you thought, oh, I've got to find out a bit more about this Queen stuff. Um, I mean, this is this is a great album to start with because within the first two tracks, you've 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 just discovered all the mischief of Queen straight away. Mm. It's phenomenal, right?
4: <laughs> That's a great word for this album, is mischief. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Um, and it's so quintessentially a British form of mischief. Yes. It, even though I don't think they're really connected, and I'm not necessarily a huge fan of them, there is a sort of Python-esque BBC radio comedy vibe to, to this album. And yeah. I was reading an interview with Paul McCartney about it, and he said he really likes the sort of absurd element of uh, A Night at the Opera. And there are moments of sort of farce and Noel Coward and sort of almost Flanders and Swan-esque turns. Yes. Mm. And and I think when we get to Bohemian Rhapsody, I I think there's an argument for that being such a British song in just how... um,
1: uh, Uh, Noel Coward... Kind of oh, just yeah. how odd it is. Mm.
4: It's right. really odd. This is a strange album. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's perplexing to rock fans. It's sort of baffling to, if you were listening to it, for the jazzy bits. Mm. It really is its own thing.
0: And it's there at like the heart of uh, the big prog rock boom in the mm. UK. But it mm. doesn't quite fit in that. On paper it sort of does, but it doesn't. Mm it's,
4: and it's you not, not quite I proc. think you can see why Elton John's such a fan of it because mm. it's very much his s- s- sort of seaside sense of humour as yes. well a very British sense of humour yeah
1: yes it's rooted in the British experience isn't it particularly when you mm. get well we'll get to seaside rendezvous later but yeah, uh, it does make Perfect sense to Queen fans, doesn't it? Yeah. That's the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Simon. I, no, I was so going to say, just say. look
3: how much Freddie packs into Seven Days compared to Craig David. Quite frankly. <laughs> 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 <Hey>. <laughs>
0: like yeah, this is the original Seven Days. That's so yeah. like, that's good.
1: <laughs> that leads us neatly on to the next section of the show, which we call. Simon
2: Says!
3: <laughs> I'm going to ask you all to help me with it this year. This year, are, this, episode. this is very exciting. <laughs> um, which actually um, comes from the very book that Suze was talking about earlier that she got for Christmas, the ah. fantastic um, 40th anniversary book that came out, which is a brilliant coffee table book, as Suze says, where they go through all of the, the highlights of Queen's careers, all the albums, you know, major songs and concerts and so forth, and there's bits of memorabilia stuck in and when I was looking at the "A uh, Night of the Opera section in there, tucked in were four letters from the band um, to the fan club m- magazine throughout 1975 so the quarterly magazine each one would have a letter from the band and the band would taking it in turns, and I thought it would be fun if we each took it in turns to read out a letter from each member of the band. Um, So, if John's happy to kick us off with Brian's letter, because I think that came first.
4: This is Brian. Dear Queen,
3: appreciations.
4: Do you know what? It's so cool that he calls the fans Queen. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And I think that says such a huge amount about their relationship with the fans. uh, That I mean, that may be just... An offhand decision by him, but he sees them as, as being part, of the, a, part yeah. of the band. Dear Queen, appreciations. I'm really glad to have this chance to write to you in this issue. I've just been reading some of the great letters you've written to us. We do read them all, you know, and it makes me a little sad that we can't write personally to each of you. If if we did, you have to bear in mind I'm reading the Brian's writing here. <laughs> If we did, we'd have no time to make any more music and you wouldn't be writing to us then. So we're very grateful to Pat and Sue who keep us very much in touch with you. Plus, you're what it's all about. At the moment, we're working every day and most nights on our film of the Rainbow concert, mixing and editing to a suitable form for the whistle test and such like. So you'll be able to see us while we're away in the USA and Japan in the, in the coming three months. We'll be thinking of you, and we'll be back. So keep yourselves alive and rocking. Love, Brian.
3: Ah. Yeah.
1: oh, Brian, May. So this is in the order in which they were released in the... Yeah, magazine? so that was the
3: beginning Sorry. of 1975. And then I come next with this thing from John Deacon, <laughs> which was about three John months Deacon later. So, hello, everybody. This is your friendly bass player here. We seem to have been away for ages, so I hope you haven't forgotten us. We saw the whole of America this time, from New York to Los Angeles, which was quite an experience. It was a shame we missed a few gigs, but Freddie's voice managed the rest of the American tour okay, and after our rest in Hawaii, he was in great form in Japan. we had all been looking forward to going to Japan for a long while, but we never expected such a great welcome. We were all knocked out by the warmth and friendship of the Japanese people and fascinated by their lifestyle. Three of the pictures in this newsletter were taken in Japan. One is of us taking part in an ancient Japanese tea ceremony where we were served by four beautiful Japanese girls in kimonos. Freddie wasn't as bored as he looks, but Roger, Brian and I (laughs) did learn to hold the cups Japanese style. The other two were taken when Freddie and I visited Nagoya Castle where we met some very inquisitive Japanese school children. In the shop with the castle, you may just be able to see Freddie and I in the background, as the children couldn't wait to get, on in, uh, get in on our photos. Hmm. Anyway, it's great to be back home after three months. We'll soon be working on our next album, which I'm sure you're looking forward to, so I hope it doesn't take too long. Cheers for now, John. Ah. Does sound like a postcard he might send his mum, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so lovely. I mean, yeah, I yeah. mean, these guys are kids,
1: right? At this yeah. Point. I mean, <laughs> you know, okay, they're grown men, but still relatively young.
3: Then we had Roger.
1: Yes! i get the coolest member No, I can't say that. Uh, right, uh, so this is from Roger. Hello, everybody. This is Roger writing this time, and I'm going to try and give you a good idea of what we have been, are, and will be doing, as it is definitely time to spill the hinds to you all. <laughs> well, believe it or not, we haven't had a moment of inactivity since we last played in England, although not all of what's been happening in the recent past has been what we are enjoying uh, what we enjoy most. To cut it short, we now have a new manager, John Reed, who we all get on with really well. He also looks after Elton John, so he's well qualified for the job. Changing management etc was a long boring business and I won't rabbit on too long about it, but it did show us it did slow us down a bit in recording the next album and touring again. However, as many of you might know, we've been working our knees off and should have the new album, A Night at the Opera, out by mid-November. We're in the studios right now, working like crazy to finish it, and so far it's sounding F-A-B. In fact, better than anything so far. I just hope you all like it. The thing we're all looking forward to most is touring in Britain again in November and December, Hopefully we'll get to see a lot of you somewhere between Dundee and Bristol. Okay then, brothers and sisters, enjoy yourselves above all. Roger Taylor. He's so cool. (laughs) He's so cool. A very clean handwriting, actually. It
2: was
1: a really nice nice read.
3: Penmanship. And so then at Christmas, the last magazine of 75 came with a letter from Fred.
0: And it begins, Hello, dears. (laughs) Thanks for giving us a number one this year. We all really appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed our live performances as much as we did. We shall be taking the same show to America and Japan early in the new year, but we'll be back before you have time to miss us. And all his commas are right. (laughs) Well. <laughs> Meanwhile, have an outrageous Christmas and a naughty new year. Love and kisses to all you darlings, <laughs> Freddie. <laughs> oh. There was no other lead singer like Freddie He's Mercury. He's just <laughs> magnificent, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> have a naughty new year.
1: <laughs> what a legend. Oh, I've got goosebumps all up and down my arms, Simon. Thank you for those.
3: That's good. Love it. How joyful.
0: Mm. Absolutely
1: amazing. And also just to receive those in their original handwriting was a really special thing, Simon. Thank you so much. What a great Simon Says this week, eh, guys?
2: Yeah.
1: Fantastic. Should we get back to the works? Yeah. Okay. Uh, So we're kicking off with the B-side to uh, a little single called Bohemian Rhapsody. This is Roger Taylor's contribution to the album. It's three minutes, five seconds long, and it's called I'm In Love With My Car. Um... And one thing I thought I would do is, because you may know it, but I just thought you might like to hear the more Mumford & Sons version of it that's available on the deluxe version Mm. of this (laughs) album.
2: The machine of a dream Such a clean machine Hubcaps all gleam when I'm home.
1: I just love that version of it. It it sounds so um, so folksy. Yeah.
4: <laughs> I once had a I, I this is a very embarrassing for me anecdote. I once had a very brief meeting with Jim and Matilda Beach where I pitched the idea that they should make all of the um all of the parts of every song, they should put them on a website so people could mix their own Queen songs because all of the all of the parts had been leaked. Um and and that idea was not taken up. Though you can do it I think at the um and this is not because of what I said, but I think you can do it at the studios tour in uh, Montreux. Oh
1: wow. Really? Uh, you can just make your own you,
4: you, you they have sort of selected tracks that you can mix using oh, the original cool. takes. Yeah. Um but I was very out of my depth in that room.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd have been
1: terrified. I wouldn't have been able to speak. I think you did well to get a pitch yeah. out at all. <laughs> uh, I, I thought we should listen to a little bit of the actual track yeah. as well. Um, but I'm just going to give you a couple of little bits of bobs on it um, before we do that. So uh, Roger played the guitars on the demo. Um, and while they were re-recorded by Brian, Roger did double on guitar in addition to drums. He also performed lead vocals, obviously, on this version. Um, And he sings it even now on the live versions, which is great. Um, The lyrics of the song, it's about cars, guys. Uh, That was inspired (laughs) by Jonathan Harris, which is one of the band's roadies who drove a Triumph TR4, you see. Um, And the revving sounds at the end of the song uh, are a recording of the car that Roger had at the time, which was an Alpha, an Alpha Romeo. Uh. I like saying Alpha, like Clarkson. <laughs> um uh, and the liner notes of the album sorry I, I should have finished this point when I was talking about Jonathan Harris the liner notes of the album dedicate the song to Jonathan Harris reading dedicated to Jonathan Harris boy racer to the end I'm There's the car, (laughs) really. The Alpha. I love this song, by the way. Uh, I I think it's a terrific number. I love Roger's... I love Roger's vocals so much. I'm a big Roger Taylor fan. Um, And I think, for me, this is his... I know Tenement Funster is a song I adore, but um, this sort of marks his... I think he just feels so much more confident as a songwriter. Yeah, I guess he's still singing about rock and roll and cars and girls (laughs) and stuff, but that's what a rock and roll star's meant to do, and I understand his sensibility, but I adore
4: him. What I'd only just realised is that, uh, including Night at the Opera, Roger only writes one song per album, so Roger's rockers are sort of forming their own... If you took every Roger song, Mm. they're they're all of a kind, Mm. and I think they reach their zenith with I'm in love with my (laughs) car. Oh,
1: really?
4: And I I think it sounds worse than it is, if you know what I mean, if you were to describe the song to someone... They would probably think it was, it's quite a like partridgey, at <laughs> least <laughs> the sort of song you can imagine maybe Chris Berg writing a song about how much he loves oh his car. <laughs> but the actual, the song is so much better than that. Yeah. And I especially adore the live version of Live Killers mm. uh, where he really goes to town on those triplets.
1: Mm. I mean, I think probably Timmy Mallet's uh, teeny-weeny polka dot bikini is still better than Chris de deciding to write about his car. <laughs> well, there
4: is a Christopher Berg song where he does mention. Um, <laughs> it's
1: an amazing Christopher Berg song called.
4: I'm actually a fan of Christopher, Berg. I should say. I've got a, a aware, Berg, I, best of album. I'm yeah, aware sure. of his his ludicrousness, but there's nothing there's wrong a,
1: with the spaceman anyway, there's there's a spaceman ghost
4: train. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> there's a song called Ballroom of Romance where he <laughs> describes um, driving to the beach in a BMW 635 <laughs> feels smooth at 90 and good to be alive. <laughs>
2: he's a poet, he's a poet. He's a poet, he's
1: up there with Dylan. Sorry to interrupt, <laughs> may I ask a question about the song?
2: Yes, yes yeah. Please. There's
1: an anecdote floating about the place that Roger thought it was such a good song that he insisted it was the B-side to Bohemian Rhapsody and locked himself in a cupboard yeah. Until Freddie agreed. Is this true? <laughs> that's, <laughs> what <laughs> I've got. that's what I've got as well. Yeah. Um, yeah,
4: from what I've heard that's true.
1: Yeah.
4: And it's what's nice is that um well, it's not nice because it caused a lot of f- fraction amongst the band, but Roger got equal um equal songwriting royalties for the sales of
2: him oh. Rhapsody. Rhapsody, yeah, right. they got
1: the same because it was the same single. Um which did, yeah, Brian explained at some point down the line. Um, at the time, we'd always work on each other's songs, but when it came to credits, the person who came up with the original idea would go, I wrote the f- song, so I'm taking the writing credit. A lot of terrible injustices take place over songwriting. The major one is B-sides. Bohemian Rhapsody sells a million, and Roger gets the same writing royalties as Freddie because he did I'm in love with my car. There was contention about that for years. But I think that resolved eventually, didn't it? You know, by the time they just went, well, we'll share our writing credits or whatever. Mm. But I think Roger locked himself in the cupboard because he thought, bloody hell, Bohemian Rhapsody's going to sell a lot and I'm not <laughs> coming out of this cupboard until I make sure <laughs> I get some of that cash. It's a great decision. I admire him for it.
4: I think probably the band, and I know Brian said this in an interview, wish they had credited all the songs to Queen a lot earlier. Because when you think now, the amount of time they must have spent, and probably wasted arguing about who earns what within the band, because it does kind of even out over time. So you would think they might as well have just split it all from the start. But I guess that's that's hard. If like when, when like I say, Roger's only written four tracks on four albums. Freddie and Brian at the time would be thinking, "No way, am I splitting everything with you and John right. four ways?" Because we've written 90% of the songs oh. that we've put out so far. Mm,
1: mm-hmm. It's really well handled in the Bohemian Rhapsody movie. It's that sort of scene with Mike Myers. I really enjoy it where they're all insisting on doing Bohemian Rhapsody, but Roger's like pushing, <laughs> I'm in love with my car. <laughs> my mother's like, why can't we do this song about race cars? And Roger's like,
0: yeah. <laughs> it makes more sense as a single though. You can You can see the thinking behind it. I've always thought I'm in love with my car was meant to be a bit funny. Yeah. I've sort of taken yeah, it as like a a, a bit pastichey. Yeah. yeah. Um and I yeah. like that that comes after you've had Death on Two Legs, which must have made like a new listener to that album go, What? And then you've had Lazing on a Sunday afternoon and that makes you go, oh, what? Like whiplash again. Then you'd start hearing I'm in love with my car and going, Okay, here this is a quite a straight rock track, but then you go, Oh no hang on, they they're, they're messing with me here and all <laughs> it's like, yeah it, it, yeah.
1: I mean the, uh, the, you know the lyrics are hugely suggestive aren't they I think the music is suggestive as well 4-4 four, four time is really driving whereas this song is in 6-8 mm. which is more romantic and, mm, so. mm-hmm. producer Charles yeah. drop in music 6-8 is <laughs> yeah, different to 4-4 four, four. also
4: what's quite interesting on this side of the album is none of the songs apart from Death on Two Legs have long intros they all start mm. on the first bar, like they all kick in, which on the second side you get more sort of builds and mm. slow starts. But that you really are, especially the first three, you really are being grabbed from song to song. Mm.
1: Yeah. Did you find in researching this for the pod that the lyrics are completely different to what you've been singing along with the whole time of your whole life? <laughs> Well, I was yeah.
4: I was sad to see it confirmed that it does contain the phrase "string back gloves." Yeah, it does. Which is <laughs> yes. so popular.
1: Yeah.
0: he literally talked about them, hasn't he? He said, "Does he? Yeah. Is he wearing them at one point?" So it says, "Gives you a bit of extra purchase." Yeah, it's when he's
4: it's when he's he's in the um the rover. The rover 800, yeah. is it? No, it's oh. it's the it's on um. Uh, knowing me, knowing you all, when yeah. he's getting in trouble for plugging the uh, the rover a V-test fast fastback, <laughs> oh, yeah. and he's doing a hill start,
1: and he goes a string back, just a bit of extra courage. <laughs> well, with my hand on your grease gun, never have that. Uh, oh, it's like a disease, son. Okay, that rhymes. But I've been singing it's like a disease sign my whole life. Um, a disease sign. A disease sign. You know, a sign for disease. Oh, Which I see. Which like, also, obviously, oh, they've makes got no cough. sense. It makes no sense, <laughs> uh, I, I embrace it. It makes it, you perfect know, sense. I, I don't have to listen to no automobile talk jive. Right, I don't have to listen to oh, no yeah okay. talk No, no, nope, that, that was incorrect.
4: I always misheard that as run, no of, the run of the mill
0: talk. No, it, it does is sound run of like the run, the run of the
1: mill. Oh, it, it is run of the run of mill. I'm the one going there, going, yeah, I don't want to listen to no automobile talk jive. I mean, <laughs> like if you do want to listen to an automobile talk jive, you want to listen to it in a song called "I'm in Love with My Car." None of my brain has ever made sense. I've betrayed <laughs> myself. <laughs> this song is littered with that. Um, and we spent we've spent enough time have we spent enough time on I'm In Love With My Car?
3: It's a classic so. Rogers rocker. Let's move on. It
1: is. Oh yeah. It really is. I'd it be is. interested to easy. know how
3: many times Rogers songs actually... I wonder if there is a correct, them coming third on the first side in that kind of... Don't worry, guys. We are still a rock and roll band mm-hmm. in, in the midst of everything else that you're hearing.
1: Yeah. yeah.
3: Because I know yeah, Tenement sure. Funster was third, wasn't it? on Shit yeah. Heart Attack? So I just... Maybe that's just where they
1: quietly just thought, well, we'll bury Roger in. Th- no, <laughs> it's just let's get, really, let's get but... Roger to
3: reassure everyone. We still rock out. Yes. That's a good point.
1: That is a good point. Uh, well, I love it. I absolutely love that track. It feels kind of somehow seminal to me. I, I think it's a massive track on the album. I adore it. So we now get on to uh, a very famous single off this album, mm. um, which is You're My Best Friend. John Deacon's song that the whole world knows. Yeah. Just the song, second song he's written.
4: Can we hear the guitar solo? Because I think it's such a great example of concise May, mm. which uh, I think is Brian's best feature as a. Well, twinned with the fact he's able to kind of write these little counter melodies, sort of songs within songs. Mm. And like what we're talking about, how, you know, for an album this big to work, you have to not overstep your time, and I just think he's yes. superb at it. And it's mm. a, it, it reminds me a lot of Killer Queen, actually, the way he just pops in yeah. to like accent the the song. Mm. That guitar solo was ten and a half seconds.
2: Amazing. Wow!
3: Is that
4: all? Wow! Yeah, it's hmm. it's absolutely incredible that he he can do that in such a short space of time. What's also amazing is how much John is doing. The the bass line to that is really complicated, <laughs> but it doesn't. It's so low in the mix that when you you sort of have to lean in to listen to what he's doing, which reminds me of "Save Me" as well, which is uh, all, one of my favourite yeah. John moments.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful song, and and it also. It suits Freddie's vocals so well Because Freddie And actually John as well They they both have this knack for writing songs That really understand The human condition <laughs> That really tie mm-hmm. into You know, things like um, uh, Just One Year of Love, Friends Will Be Friends All these songs they've written throughout their careers Freddie's very good at them uh, It's A Hard Life um, mm. But also, John's superb at them You know, Spread Your Wings mm-hmm. has got that kind of feel to it as well, and it it's just so every person, that song, um, yeah. and it can mean, I mean he wrote it for his, John wrote it for his wife, uh, Veronica Tetzlaff, um, but, and it is about your life partner, and it's always, it always, I always think of this song when people talk about how they've married their best friend, you know, <laughs> that comes up a lot, mm. but um, uh, but it can also just refer to your mate, and I think that's why people, you know... It's, has So
3: many applications mm. for people, it's such a warm I've soul. actually been to a, yeah. a wedding where it was re- it was one of the readings as if it was a poem. Aww. And the person, oh, and the person read it yeah. out, going, This is You're My Best Friend by John Deacon, and then just read the lyrics as a poem, yeah. which everyone in the congregation got. And th- you know, some people were laughing because it was quite funny. And the, the vicar mm. just looked. Totally as if it was like the, the most wonderful thing he'd ever heard. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and just oh, going that it sounds familiar,
3: but it worked oh. really well. It worked really Did well. Did you cry? Sorry? Did you cry at that? No, of course not. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, no. And I've heard it played at weddings as well. My sister had it at her
1: wedding. Yeah. And it was great. Oh, It's amazing. It's brilliant. John played a Wurlitzer electric piano uh, in addition to the bass guitar on the studio version, which was uh, something that Freddie didn't want to use. Um, Uh, in a live BBC One radio interview with a band on the 24th of December 1977, John Deacon said, well, Freddie didn't like the electric piano, so I took it home and I started to learn on the electric piano. And basically, that's the song that came out, you know, when I was learning to play piano. It was written on that instrument and it sounds best on
3: that. I've got that clip if you want to hear it. (laughs) Oh, Oh, yes. Are you kidding? Oh, my God.
1: Of course you have. Were you going to drop it? I was going to mention it, yeah. Well, but it didn't like the electric piano, so I took it home and I started to... Because i I'd never played piano before, and I really started to learn on the electric piano and, and basically that's a song that came out, you know, when I was, I was learning to play piano. I refuse
2: to play the damn thing. <laughs> Tinian world, I don't like them.
3: Why play those things when you've got a lovely, super grand piano? No, I, I think it's... Basically, what he's trying to say is that
2: there
0: was a desired effect, really, in that. It was written on that instrument, yeah. and it really sounds best on that. It's <laughs> <laughs> that like a married couple who are like. <laughs> so no, that... no one at the dinner party can tell that we were arguing, it's like everyone could tell.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I, I love, just love the fact that John says he didn't know how to play the piano, so yeah, he went home and learned, you know. <laughs> as, yeah, as, as you do. yeah. Um, because ke- it's similar to came it, the out next with song a massive
2: hit. Yeah,
3: mm. oh yeah, absolutely. And it's similar to this, the sort of next song where apparently Brian jokingly said he wanted John to play the double bass on Thirty Nine, um, and three days later he, John was in the studio with a double bass, having gone away and taught himself how yeah. to play it. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's absolutely amazing. Cool, really.
1: Thirty Nine yeah. was on the B side of this single, actually. No. Oh, was like it? to that know? Yeah. Thing yeah. Thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, would you like to know? Uh, where it reached? Yes, please. Do you know where it reached? In the top 10? Is it reached? number two? Number seven for you My Best. Was Friend. it really? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And in that chart that week, you had uh, this is 11th July 1976. Uh, this is at number 10, Misty Blue with, by Dorothy Moore. I'm going into sort of Gary Davies. <laughs> I'm going to try and come back out of it. At number nine, You Just Might See Me Cry by Our Kid. Uh, eight, Let's Stick Together by Brian Ferry. That's a Stone Cold classic. Seven, You're M- My Best Friend by Queen. Also awesome. Number six, You To Me Are Everything by The Real Thing. Mm. Five, Kiss and Say Goodbye by The Manhattans. Uh, four, Young Hearts Run Free by Candy Statton. Ah. Uh, yeah. Three, A Little Bit More by Dr Hook. One for John. Two, Don't Go Breaking My Heart by Elton John and Kiki D. Oh. Love that. And at number one, I love this. The Roussos Phenomenon by Demi Roussos. Wow. <laughs> okay, fair play. It's the On
3: most the...
1: 1976
0: thing ever. It was a different
3: number
2: world.
3: one. <laughs> it was a different world,
0: 1976. Wow. Um, that's
3: a long time, recorded... Bohemian Rhapsody, by the time that came out, isn't it? You said that was July 76, so that's a good...
1: Yeah. Yeah, because it was, was it, months, well, late late sense.
0: 75.
1: Mm. I'm not wow. trusting my were there
0: not more singles from on. the album?
1: Maybe that was '75, actually.
3: No, no, I think it, it would have come out after Bohemian Rhapsody, so yeah, it's just seven months after 76? Bohemian Rhapsody. But maybe Susan right. I can't remember what. Maybe someone maybe, was released in between. Maybe
0: they released some other things from the album.
3: No, there's only only two singles right. off this album, oh, Bohemian wow. Rhapsody and You're My Best Friend.
0: Wow, okay.
1: Okay. Thank you, John.
0: Oh. Uh, You're My Best Friend catches people out at karaoke. Have you ever seen guys trying to sing it on the karaoke? Why? What happens? And they, they seem to be going. They they're like, yeah, it's going okay. And then they get to, I really love the things <laughs> that you do. And you see, you see a lot of guys have a like Simon Lebon at live aid moment, <laughs> <laughs> like,
4: like when people do angels.
0: Oh. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> it's a really, really
4: phenomenally difficult song to sing. <laughs> I mean, through you. it, oh. <laughs> <laughs> a lot
1: of Queen songs I find actually quite tricky to karaoke because they're oh, most of them, strange be. keys and <laughs> yeah. you know like you start off really confidently with We Are The Champions and you're like hang on no what? <laughs> yeah. on on and, on and. <laughs> I'm off key I'm off key I can tell <laughs> I don't even know what a key is um, uh, I think well producer Giles has just sent me a note saying maybe 10th of June 1976 for You're My Best Okay, okay. There is some questioning around it. Um, uh, but did you know that the band recorded a music video for this, directed by Bruce Gowers, who directed mm-hmm. the Bohemian Rhapsody video? Oh, it was filmed I'll at I'll forget that
4: Bruce Gowers directed the Bohemian Rhapsody video. Hmm. <laughs> Because it was a question I didn't know on Mastermind.
1: Oh. <laughs> oh my God, it's so... Agony. This is, agony. Let's just call this podcast as uh, some sort of therapy for you <laughs> <laughs> to process <laughs> what happened to you on Mastermind. The uh, <laughs> video feature... Actually, one of my... No, I'm not going to go to that. We haven't got time. Uh, the video... I just... I will say this, watching John Robbins compete over a week on Richard Osmond's House of Games has been one of the most delicious experiences of my life. <laughs> the way he tried to keep a lid on how seriously he was taking it is one of the most entertaining things I've ever seen. <laughs> um, uh, right, the, the video features the band in a huge ballroom surrounded by over a thousand candles and a huge chandelier hanging from the ceiling and also features Deacon playing grand piano rather than the Wurlitzer he used on the recording. What a wonderful song it is, eh? Great, yeah. good old John
0: Timeless, and it was on my GCSE music exam
1: <laughs> Was it really?
0: <laughs> yeah, they went they said, uh, they, you know they all, They played you a piece of music and then asked you questions about it and I was like looking around the room going oh great guys <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was like, I already know this, I already know this music <laughs> What do you want Does to know? What do you want else? to
1: know? <laughs> Ask me anything <laughs> everyone, else, everyone else in the exam going oh, oh, damn. <laughs> damn it <laughs> It's wonderful. Um (laughs) all right, that brings us on to a quick feature of the show that we call News of the World. In January, Brian uh, did an interview in total Guitar Magazine. Um, about Bohemian Rhapsody as part of a feature called The 50 Greatest Solos of All Time as voted by GuitarWorld.com and Brian's solo on Bohemian Rhapsody was voted number one. Yeah. Correctly so. Mm. Uh, And quite uh, beautifully uh, um, uh, Adam Lambert has announced that he's curating uh, Stonewall Day 2021 on Sunday, June the 16th on behalf of his lgbtq plus non-profit feel something foundation as part of pride month uh, which is wonderful so um you can get news about that or from queen online actually um and you should look that up and see how to participate because that is a wonderful thing um so here we are at, at now uh, we're on to a track called 39 which is written by brian may it's three minutes 30 seconds long and it is the 39th album track from Queen.
3: Yeah, lovely
1: song. (laughs) What a song! Go on, Simon, take it away.
3: Oh no, I um, just—it's just lovely, isn't it? And um, what a great story that Brian's telling you. I I think only Brian May could write this song and do this song about a space
1: explorer who returns from a year-long voyage voyage to discover that a hundred years have passed on Earth. Due to the time dilation effect from Einstein's special theory of relativity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: what's, what's the film, the recent sci-fi film, that basically is that premise? Interstellar. Is yeah. it
1: Interstellar? Mm. Yeah. Or
4: interstellar. is it Gravity? What's the one where he goes to the planet to rescue something, and if he's there for more than two minutes, it means he's a million years old? Interstellar. Okay.
0: Is that Interstellar? Right. I haven't seen it. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Christopher Nolan dealing with time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the stuff. Beautiful. Um, Yeah, actually, in an interview for the book uh, The Guitar Greats, Brian elaborated on the themes of the song by saying, I felt a little like that about my home at the time, having been away and seen this vastly different world of rock music, which was totally different from the way I was brought up. People may not generally admit it, but I think that when most people write songs, there is more than one level to them. There will be about one thing on the surface, but underneath they're probably trying, maybe even unconsciously, to say something about their own life, their own experience. And in nearly all my stuff, there is a personal feeling is lovely. Uh, Brian sings lead vocals on the recording, but Fred, of course, would sing them live. And like Simon mentioned, yeah, Brian sort almost jokingly uh, asked John to play a double bass on the track and then found John in the studio a couple of days later with a double bass, having learned it. Amazing. Um, which is fantastic. It's
4: sometimes wrongly credited as a fretless bass, isn't it? I mean, even though a double bass is fretless, mm. it's not a fretless bass, even though he may have played a fretless bass live i don't mm-hmm. know but it's certainly the studio recording isn't a fretless bass is it no i think it's, it's an an double, actual, double, double bass.
1: bass yeah
4: yeah yeah
0: mm. you can yeah. really hear it yeah. as well yeah. when you, you mm. know, now that i'm sort of listening out for him now after what we said earlier and yeah you can hear that just pulsing in the background of the uh, you know all the instrumentation and all the crazy harmonies they do cuz it yeah. this is a That's song that sounds bit. like a, it's amazing. yeah it's crazy it, it it's a sci fi folk song, and it sounds like a real trad folk song. And there's just touches that stop it, like put it slightly off kilter, like every song on this album. Yeah, so and with this, it's Rogers that weird build he does that really twangy, high, um, held ah sound in between yeah. the verses. And it's, it's really sort of... disconcerting. You're like, What? Hang on, what's going on here? It's
1: that yeah, sort of it's... return well, to the Forbidden Planet type sound, isn't it? Mm. So, you know, there's what...
4: a few bits especially with those harmonies that make it sound like it's being played backwards,
0: mm.
4: which I really like because that sort of fits in with sort of time travel and stuff, yeah. but especially uh, the the double bass does that a bit, but the way that the, the vocals do sound like that kind of, mm-hmm. kind, of kind of thing.
1: Mm-hmm. I was just going to say there is a few songs that, uh, if you're a casual Queen fan, if you if you're sort of you know your greatest hits or you saw the movie or whatever, and you want to pass yourself off as like a super duper Queen fan, there are a few tracks from these albums that if you just learn like you know if you know in the lap of the gods revisited from sheer heart attack or tie your mother down from day at the races uh, and or love of my life from the second half of this album, this is one of those songs like if you. If you know 39, then all Queen fans (laughs) are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're part of the family. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which George Michael kind of had that moment on the Freddie Mercury tribute when he came out and sang that, uh, sang 39. And he said afterwards, um, uh, hand on my heart that particular song was a song that i used to busk on the underground when i was about 15 so that meant something to me that was legit Aww. like it was Aww. you know it was such a, it had a huge impact on that stadium crowd and absolutely everyone just from that moment was mm. like we're all about george right now so then mm-hmm. he obviously <laughs> goes into um uh was it he he does after somebody to love Oh, my god he killed it. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, um you <laughs> know yeah 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 I think uh, so. That's my advice to you guys. If you want to turn up to a Queen gig, make sure you know you're 39. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, Simon, what were you going to say? No, I think? was going to
3: say, I actually dug out um, because on the 2011 re release of um Night of the Opera, they put um, a bonus track on there, which is a live version. I think it's from Earl's Court in 77. And I just mm-hmm. thought it might be fun to have listened because although yeah. Brian sings it so brilliantly on the album and continues to sing it now when they're touring um this is just a curiosity because it's Freddie singing it rather than oh, yeah than brian and i just thought we could have a little bit of
1: yeah a bit of fred yeah. we've got that power yeah
3: we can do that can't <laughs> we <laughs>
2: yeah we can yeah go to it In the A new home.
4: <laughs> Suze, has Freddie taken that down an octave.
0: I don't think so. I don't it think so. It sounds much
4: lower in his voice. I think he's just maybe. got a lot
0: more. Um, he's he's got a lot more beef than Brian. I think is what's happened there. Uh, but I, I haven't heard that before. That's so cool. Um, you've got when Brian sings it, he's like a storyteller, and Freddie does it, he's like the big bold balladeer. You can you imagine him room. jumping yeah. into the center of the room with his guitar, going, "I come with a tail"? <laughs> that's so cool.
3: Yeah, yeah. Roger's got
4: really good control there on yeah. the harmony. It's incredible, yeah. Isn't it? He
0: could just sit there. Yeah. yeah,
1: that's crazy. That while they're playing live, the three of them could just hit every single note on that harmony. It sounds like
0: totally way more than three singers.
1: Yeah, when mm. they're
0: doing those harmonies, they're, those are such clever harmonies.
1: But three singers have you ever of seen the man on an unplugged mic?
4: Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen the YouTube or heard the YouTube <coughs> compilation of all Queen's live mistakes?
1: <laughs> oh,
2: no. No. It's he's a, like, oh, a oh. cruel,
4: cruel <laughs> compilation, but it's Freddie missing notes. It's Brian's breaking guitar strings. It's people coming in too early and stuff. Brian would hate to
1: hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. It is out there. A, oh, he's not uh, There is an
3: he's interesting thing I've got to tell you about this. <laughs> this, this amazed me is that... Um, back in 2005 we were doing a 30th anniversary edition of this album and it was uh, the release re-release of the cd plus they wanted a dvd to go with it and they wanted every song to have a little video to go along it so it could have a you could have a dvd and watch and listen to the studio album on, on that with a visual for each one and of course quite a few of the songs didn't have any kind of promo so we were making Promo videos for each one, mainly using live footage and cutting it to the studio track. But when we came to do 39, the problem we hit is because Brian is singing it on the studio, and of course, Freddie's singing it live. So the only time the live footage would work would be during the choruses when they're all, all singing along. Um, fortunately, the band were on tour at the time with Paul Rogers. And as part of the set, Brian, when he was doing Love of My Life, would also sing one of the verses and choruses of 39. So we sent a message and asked if he wouldn't mind singing the whole song on one night because it was being filmed by loads of cameras for all the different screens so that we could then film and use that as the basis for the video, which he agreed. So on one night, he sang the whole song and we had it on on video. It came back to us the editor laid the live version of Brian singing it from the tour and synced it up to the uh, studio track and it from 1975 and it matched perfectly the whole oh way Oh, my God. Wow. From beginning to end. 30 years apart. Amazing. That's insane, isn't it? That is insane. Mm. That is insane. That's really cool. Hmm. I did not see that coming. That's very, very, very no. cool.
1: Uh, but also... Uh, it should be noted that you just wielded Brian May doing that <laughs> that's that's a power isn't it hey Brian can you sing a song yeah all right and then <laughs> don't, don't just don't just how one, many people what thing, happened
2: mm. yeah
1: it's just oh Brian go on mate it's <laughs> uh, <laughs> an amazing story fantastic um I'm going to mention uh Groucho Marx at this point actually um i will talk about him a little bit uh, on on the next side, I think, but um, uh, since Queen had named this album and its follow-up after two Marx Brothers films, uh, Night at the Opera and Day at the Races, the surviving brother, Groucho Marx, invited Queen to visit him in his L.A. home in March 1977, just five months before Groucho passed away, actually, and the band played 39 a cappella for him.
2: Wow, ah. just, to, just
1: to say thanks yeah really cool very very sweet uh, a wonderful song an absolutely wonderful song uh, check out George doing it for the Freddie Mercury tribute on YouTube um, but uh, also find Freddie singing it, it's amazing um, but yeah I think I just love <laughs> I love this version, the album version is gorgeous uh, let us move on shall we to a rocker uh, by Brian May, four minutes Two seconds long for this is Sweet Lady. Go, what a riff! It's a wow. great riff, less <laughs> for fat of the chorus, but I love that riff. That sort of it's just that Brian can do those sort of hammer to fall, tie your mother down type, just like boss riffs. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is that track on this album, and I think it's gorgeous. It's great. But it's,
4: it's also a really odd riff for Brian because it's a waltz. Mm-hmm. The, the riff is a waltz, and then the, the, is it the verse is a um. Four uh, four. Yeah, yeah. So it's quite unusual for a rock sort of riff to be in a waltz time. It's
0: very. It's, it's quite a strange song. It, I bet it was imp- impossible to. You, like, I if there were Queen fans who love this song and would sing along to it. And then if they were just you know told go out there do it on karaoke, they they wouldn't be able to keep up with it because the yeah. count it doesn't count easily.
1: Yeah. In fact, I've got a strange little strange uh, song quote from Brian and a reaction from Roger on this if you're interested (laughs) Yes. so Brian says uh, sweet lady musically came from a riff and I was fascinated with the idea of a heavy riff in 3-4 time rather than 4-4 because three-four is the time of the waltz. Traditionally, it's a very gentle sound. People used it to dance and whatever. So the fact that I could find this riff in three-four, which seemed to have an urgency and heaviness to it, was a fascinating thing for me. And I think in your head you kind of refuse to hear it in three-four, which is why it's still mm-hmm. powerful. I think. Well, it's my theory anyway. And lyrically, as a lot of stuff, a lot of my stuff, it's about relationships and what I saw in my own relationships. And the relationships of people around me, which I still really feel is the fundamental building material of our lives. I'm not very good on politics on a grand scale, but I'm intrigued by what happens one-on-one between people. I think some of those are the strongest forces in our lives, so that's what the song's about. And then Roger's... uh, What Roger says about the song is... There's an old song called Sweet Lady, which Brian wrote on a night at the opera. And he was saying, I want it to go like this. And he wanted it to do three different things at once, and that was a bit hard to understand.
0: <laughs>
1: Ryan's amazing
0: complexity. I just think it's clever that he's done a song where essentially it feels like there's a beat missing. Every so often you go, "Oh, they they come in really quick with that," and it's because it, the song's about uh, you know a woman that he thinks is sweet as hell, and she's twisting his melon. So <laughs> it's, it's, that works really well. That it's like. It's it's like discombobulated thoughts Ah,
1: with the count. Yeah, that's a great observation. Clever song. Music reflects the uh, the lyrics very beautifully. Mm. Um, Fantastic. Let us move on now to some more vaudeville, shall we say, with the magnificent seaside rendezvous, uh, two minute fourteen second banger from Freddie Mercury.
2: As a matter of fact just- So trace your mom Seaside Rendezvous Woo-hoo. Seaside Rendezvous Give
1: us a kiss All <laughs> 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 the way to finish off the first side of an album mm. Give us a kiss
4: <laughs> I think there's the, so much of what makes this album so unique Is the stuff that Freddie and Brian are doing With their voice and guitar respectively That aren't meant to be voices and guitars Because mm. if, if you look at the the actual equipment list for this album mm. It's remarkable how few instruments they're using. And if you think about most of the pianos are just different grand pianos that Freddie used, Mm -hmm. apart from the electric piano. A lot of Brian's guitars are just one use only in certain songs. So like on 39 and Love of My Life. And all of those songs that create that sort of brass band are either voices and not in this one, but in good company or and guitars. So between them, they're probably covering twenty extra instruments just by using the Red Special and Freddie's vocal chords.
0: Quite, mm. But I
4: think a couple of the ones in that are Roger.
0: Uh, yeah, I think the, that vocal breakdown is. There's definitely some Roger in there because he, I think he he's hitting some crazy high notes in that. Yeah, and it it like some of it's on a kazoo, surely. Yes,
1: yeah. right. So is it a kazoo? The interesting thing is, the reason I started it on that sort of mock instrumental moment is because that was performed entirely by Freddie and Roger using only their voices.
0: So oh, I thought there you it go, was. there you go. Amazing. Right,
1: so in this section... It's
4: extraordinary.
0: It's
1: bananas. Uh, so in that yeah. section, Freddie imitates woodwind instruments, including a clarinet, while Roger imitates mainly brass instruments, including tubers, trumpets, and even a kazoo. The liner notes credit them as vocal orchestrations of brass, Roger Taylor, and vocal Mm -hmm. orchestration of woodwind, Freddie Mercury. During this section, Roger also hits a C6, a high C, the highest note on the album. Oh,
0: right, it's really high, yeah.
1: Right, and the tap dance Mm -hmm. segment was performed by Freddie and Roger on the mixing desk with thimbles on their fingers.
0: (laughs) Oh. Right, way ahead of the
1: beatboxing (laughs) scene.
0: These guys
1: were like just totally jazzing it up on the uh, on Seaside Rendezvous. That's,
2: that's Isn't that amazing. Great?
1: Then you guys were yeah. way ahead of me. It's fantastic.
0: Um, <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tease
4: forward. So in the next episode, I'm going to play some clips of songs Brian was influenced by as a child, and there's a very direct link between Seaside Rendezvous, Good Company, and one of the one of the Ooh. clips I'll play on the next pod. Ah.
3: Forward to that. Cracking. There you go.
4: <laughs> Seaside Rendezvous is uh, is such. It's another one of those sort of important gaps between the bigger tracks. Yes. So if you if I mean if you look at the way the first half of the album goes, Death on Two Legs, really heavy. Yeah. Lazing on a Sunday afternoon. I'm in love with my car. Heavy. You're my best friend. Pop. Mm then 39, then Sweet Lady Heavy, then Seaside Rendezvous. Mm. So even though there's these really big rocking tracks, they never come next to each other. Mm. It's really, really clever. They're
1: a very eclectic band. I think it's worth saying that, you know, we're talking about 1975 here, and it's not like um, that sort of vaudeville sound. I keep using I think vaudeville's the right reference point, but it's not like that sound oh, yeah, is quite so distant to them at that point as it is to us now. I think probably you know it's a couple of generations yeah it's it's equivalent mm. to someone sort of doing a a sort of 80s st- style track now really isn't it you know mm. i don't know i don't well know. if yeah. if you think Maybe the, more in
2: the, the, the at that time
4: the distance between um night of the opera and now is 45 years so it's the same as between 1930 and a night at the opera
0: wild isn't it mm. So
4: those sorts of things, especially in like British theatre, you'd still have had Mm. uh, people who would have, you know, been to see Max Miller when they were a kid Mm. and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, we get to see Queen hopefully
0: this year. That's it. The the nostalgia rule is thirty years, isn't it? Which is why stuff like Stranger Things and the new, um, the new version of Stephen King's It, they're all sort of set thirty years ago. Whereas Stephen King's It. The book in 85 was set 30 years before that. So I for see. them, this is probably, it's like particularly good company actually. They yeah. sound like those kind of wartime songs, mm. which would yeah, have been 30 years like before Maybe like George this.
1: Foreman sound. Is that right? Is that, George, that George, George <laughs> Foreman. The George the Foreman sound is mainly <laughs> a thumping, yeah, and George a sizzle, Formby,
0: a sorry. sizzling yeah. lamb chop. <laughs>
1: That's the first time that producer Giles has laughed this entire recording
2: <laughs> <of my>
3: absolute <laughs> stupidity thank you very much everybody um, I, I, uh, I, love, I love the ending of it because it goes back to what John was saying earlier on about how the beginning of the album sounds like the curtains coming up and we're all sitting down to watch this night of the opera when you hear that last, you know, give us a kiss in that last yeah. bit, you imagine the curtain coming down, the lights come up, it's ice cream time now you know, <laughs> can have a yeah. and yeah. I actually listened to this on uh, before this on my old vinyl, and I really noticed it because when you listen to it on a CD or streaming, of course we're then straight into Profit Song. But when it just stopped and ended, I really felt that urge to go, "Oh, it's an interval. It just works <laughs> so well. Make a cup of tea with the second album, yeah. and, and then we'll come back. And profit Song will start us up again.
1: Yeah, it's outstanding. <laughs> it's
0: this album's Leroy Brown." Isn't it's it? this album's
1: Leroy Brown. Oh, you exactly is that what you're
0: going to say? That is what I was going to say. Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> um, and something that you pointed out, th- something that Sue's pointed out on Leroy Brown was that was a stepping stone to this song. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think for you, you said this song was almost well. They're both brilliant songs, but yeah.
4: I was just going to say that Leroy Brown, I don't think makes sense on sheer heart attack. I think it makes more sense on on this mm-hmm. this album. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's mm-hmm. almost like it happened by accident on sheer heart attack and they went, mm. oh, that's a thing we can do. And then they come up with Seaside Rendezvous. And Blazing on a Sunday. Yeah, it made them bolder Yeah,
1: to be more playful. And, you know, this is a sense of humour that that is very particular to Queen. Um, it, mm. it never undermines what they're doing, uh, but it is all... You know, it's written off as tongue in cheek, but it's so much more sophisticated than that. Um, it is a nod and a wink in, 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 in a very, very long entertainment tradition for this country. Yeah, particular... they always
0: honour the form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right down know. to the vocals. Like, Freddie totally gets that music hall no Coward vocal mm. and can recreate it while still sounding like a rock singer. He doesn't, he's not putting on a voice. It's no. all part of his voice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and for me, give us a kiss. Just, <laughs> just there's, like, like it's, it, every time I hear it, it's like Freddie saying it to me right now in the moment.
2: <laughs>
1: like, no time has passed since that recording, you know. It's amazing. <laughs> He's so present um, in this music. It's fantastic stuff. All right. Well, you know what that takes us to. It's time for us to decide. The Queen de la Queen. <laughs> For the first time in season two. Oh, no. Made in heaven. Made in heaven. So, just to remind our listeners, what we are attempting to do is help you build a lovely playlist of just the the Queen de la Queen of all of Queen. Uh, And we have a playlist up on Spotify that you can check out where we've been putting one track from each side of every album that we've decided between us deserves to be on there. The big singles, if they're on the greatest hits, you can have them. They're bank. You're my best friend. You can have that. But of the remaining tracks, Suze Kempner, which one are you picking?
0: I'm going to go for Death on Two Legs.
1: Oh, why?
0: Because i it's the only rock song I know that has managed to be a, we're slagging off our manager song and not sounded like a a white wine. <laughs> yes,
2: yeah. Even the
0: Beatles couldn't do it. They did that song Baby You're a Rich Man, slag it off Brian <laughs> Epstein for having money, like look in the mirror, Beatles. Oh, <laughs> but that's... yeah, Queen Queen managed to do that. And I and I think the song is perfect.
1: Yeah, it's a hardcore track. Great choice. Yeah. Well, Mr. Lupton, how are you doing? <laughs> how are you doing it? How you do that? Find, it's start. fine. it's fine.
3: You burst into tears. <laughs> the colours drain from my face. I'm going to go with 39.
1: Are you? Yeah. Interesting, and in why so? I uh,
3: just love it. And again, like I said, no one else could have done that song. And I just think it, it ties into everything that Brian is. And I just think it's the perfect song for that.
1: I love it. That's a lovely answer. Mr Robbins.
3: Well, I think it's
4: testimony to how perfect the album is, that we're all going to be choosing yeah. different songs so far. I'm going for Lazing on a Sunday afternoon because I think it's just key to what this album is trying to do. It's not necessarily what I think is the the best track off this side uh, but I think it's the most important in terms of them creating a piece and I think it's not only a, the song is important but where it comes is really mm. important as well.
1: Mm. Yeah, very, very good. It's a great choice. I think choice. it's just so
4: it's so shocking to hear after death on two legs yeah
1: and it's just a minute of genius Mm. you know we didn't play the guitar solo but it's incredible as well um yes we warmly encourage you to check out all of these tracks i would probably i think if i was making a compilation album and i was only able to pick one song off of this side it may well be seaside rendezvous because i love that style and um just the the complexity and it is incredible. However, I am going for thirty nine mm. myself for this because when I think of a night at the opera, obviously yes, um, Bohemian Rhapsody and Love of My Life, but thirty nine is the song that comes up in my head as oh, I really want to hear that again. I can listen <laughs> to the album for that reason, and it and it is it holds a certain position. In Queen fans' hearts, there's a reason why it's still being sung uh, live on, on, on quite a few of the tours. Uh, and it, 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 it's just one of those songs that, uh, you know, once you're a Queen fan that sort of listens to the entire back catalogue, I think it's one of those songs that you're like, yeah, yeah, this is as valid as any of the singles for me. It's as big as any of the singles for me. Yeah. You know, I know all the words. <laughs> I can <laughs> sing along with it. I love it. Uh, so, I'm, yeah, I'm going 39 as well, which means we've had two votes for 39. Uh, so 39 is the Queen de la Queen. Are we happy with that?
2: Yeah. Well, pretty Yeah, pretty
4: I, I, I don't think you could have a wrong choice no. off this album, to be honest.
1: No. no. You can't. You can't. And uh, given that, I think 39 is a good recommendation to our listeners. Um, you can enjoy that enormously. So, there you have it. Uh, email us with your stories and questions, queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. Uh, give us a comment at the QueenPod on Twitter. We've got a Facebook page now, also on Instagram. Uh, it's at queenpod. Uh, so if you're out there, enjoy the pod. and lucky enough to be helping keep the... Uh, helping keep the economy going. We've now set up a Queen Pod Patreon because advertising revenues aren't really as much of a thing as we thought they were going to be. So I appreciate you hearing a lot of this stuff at the moment, but such is Planet Earth right now, right? We offer all kinds of perks for your level of support, like the opportunity to download the pod a day early and ad-free, stuff like that. Maybe a shout-out right here on the pod. I'm trying to talk Simon into giving Patreon's exclusive Queen Pod mugs, like the one he got us for Christmas, but it looks like that particular idea might actually bankrupt us. We've also got a PayPal, if you fancy just chucking us one off-dob of cash. This is all about enabling us to get through the entire back catalogue. Queen are happy for us to use the music. The rest is up to us, team. And just to say, if you are struggling out there and get some small comfort from having a proper Queen chat in your lives, you just keep on enjoying us without a second thought, Okay. Uh, what you can do though is please take the time to give us uh, a big ups wherever you can a star rating on your podcast platform even give us a little review it's so encouraging for us and will really help us to keep going above all spread the word wherever you are amongst all your Queen fan buddies so thank you to Suze Simon John and producer Giles
2: goodbye Bye. Bye. Bye.
3: This has been The
1: Queen Pod, a Seven Seas Films production, edited and produced by me, Fergus March.
3: Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and stay in touch by emailing queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.